Welcome to In the Wake with Whitley. Here on this podcast, we cover mental health, life lessons, mindset growth, and tons of storytelling. Together, we'll laugh, we'll cry, and everything in between. I'm your host, Whitley Rogers. I'm a certified life coach and mental health advocate. I'm also a survivor of sexual and mental abuse. I'm here to open up those conversations that are normally uncomfortable or hush-hush in society. Keep listening for bits and pieces of my personal journey and insights along with other interviewees. All right, I am back this week with a guest here with me today that I'm very excited to finally sit down and and talk with. This is obviously a topic that I am very passionate about because there are multiple episodes diving into this and so I am very excited for you guys to hear Jaleesa's story and without further ado I'll let you introduce yourself like who are you and what is your story? First of all thank you so much for having me. I am extremely passionate about mental health myself and so being able to share my story and hearing other people's stories. I'm always for it. Like you said, my name is Jalisa. I live in Texas and I actually am a podcaster as well. I have a podcast specifically on mental health issues and the stigma that comes along with mental health called Kind of Pretty, Definitely Petty. I've been doing that for roughly a year, but I was diagnosed with depression and anxiety myself in July of 2017. So it's been a while since I've been struggling with it. I've I've always had anxiety, Mm -hmm. but finally I sought help and was diagnosed. So in 2017, that's when my journey really started. And ever since then, it's just been me trying to learn ways to cope naturally, spiritually, and even going as far as looking into, not necessarily doing, but doing research on what they're doing with psychedelics and like psilocybin, everything like that. And so that's where I'm at currently, just very, very passionate about mental health. And again, super excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited that you're here. So when you were struggling very deeply with depression, anxiety, what did a day with that look like for you? Can you maybe describe like thoughts or feelings or what it situationally looked like? So when it started to become overwhelming, I was at a point in life where I was extremely happy. I had a lot of things that I was passionate about. And the main thing was, oddly enough, I was doing special effects, makeup, and just makeup, period. I stopped doing that. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was step number one in the transition of my lifestyle. I just lost interest in the things that truly made me feel happy. From there, it just kind of snowballed into not only am I not doing makeup, I'm not wearing makeup. Mm -hmm. I started to lose interest in my nine to five job. And of course, working in corporate America 
with depression (laughs) has got to be one of the hardest things. And if you do it, you are a soldier because it's not something that is acceptable. It's so terrible to compare it to like a terminal disease, but there are days when it feels like a terminal disease. And so there's a difference between, you know, I've been battling with this illness and I can't come to work today versus my mind won't let me focus on anything other than these crippling thoughts that I have. I can't come into work today. So that started happening. And at the time I was, like I said, I was at a really, really high point. I was excelling in my career. I was in a very close knit group of leaders that I worked with. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, everything came crashing down. I felt like I lost myself. And then once I felt like I lost myself, it was like everything around me that I thought would never go away slowly (laughs) left from the promotion that I had got was actually demoted, maybe, if that's the right word. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But they took the promotion away. And I went to a different position. The people that I was working with didn't really communicate with me as much. And I kind of became a nuisance. Whereas before, I felt like I was truly an asset to the company. But because I was struggling so much with depression and working through it, they kind of just wanted to brush me off to the side. And of course, as you know, I'm not sure if you take medication for anything. Yeah, I do. Okay. It's hit or miss. So more often than not, the first time you're prescribe something. If it works, that's amazing. But a lot of the times it does not work the first time. Mm -hmm. It's really trial and error. Exactly. And that was what was going on with me. So I'm dealing with medications and what they're doing to me. And then also dealing with the people around me saying how much I've changed and how it's so different to be around me. It was a very dark and lonely place. I never thought that I would experience that, but that was when I knew, okay, it's time to get help. Did you feel, well, I guess you did say it was like a dark and lonely place. I was just going to say, did you feel like anyone understood what you were going through? Did you know anyone prior that was open about their mental health struggles? Or did you really feel like you were the only one going through this? I'm very, very close with my mom and she, our whole family truly has suffered with depression. Mm-hmm. And she was diagnosed when I was very, very, very young. She was my biggest advocate for getting help mm-hmm. because she knew where I was at. But even then, even though I knew she could understand what I was dealing with, it was still hard to open up about how much how much I was scared, the struggles that I was dealing with. Other than her, I felt I had to hide it from everybody else because mm. I was always the class clown, the funny person in the room, the person that could light up a party. And I just was not able 
to do that. And so it's true when they say you put a mask on Mm -hmm. every single day when you do battle with depression and anxiety because you don't want people to know what you're dealing with. And so in that, there was a lot of loneliness because I wasn't prepared to let my friends know I'm not okay. And I didn't know how they would react to that. And I feared, and of course, this is my brain telling me lies. <laughs> I feared yeah. that they would be like, ew, that's work. And I don't want to work to be your friend. <laughs> I was like, I'm just, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Yeah. But definitely. I felt isolated. And a lot of it was, it was self-isolation. I isolated myself because I didn't want people to judge me. Mm-hmm. I resonate with that a lot, actually, because it is exhausting to keep up that facade that you're fine and really putting on that mask and just going throughout your life with your friends or at work or school and pretending like you're fine when you you feel like you're a shell of yourself. I was in high school when I was in the depths of my like depression And I missed a lot of school because I just couldn't bear the thought of like putting on a face for one more day. Like it was so heavy. Depression alone and anxiety is exhausting enough. But then dealing with day to day on top of it. And it's crazy because I think a lot of the time, especially for me, I would think about who I was Mm -hmm. and the person that I was. Mm -hmm. And then I would look at the person that I currently in that moment was and I would see such huge differences it's like you're reaching for that person that you were and it's like that scene in movies where like the hallway and it's just getting farther and farther Mm -hmm. away and you're running and I just please please just let me be normal again (laughs) anything to be normal again and it would not happen so I can't imagine going through school because you are surrounded kudos to you girl (laughs) thank you I don't even know how I graduated honestly (laughs) it's a miracle in itself (laughs) Okay, so you mentioned you also struggle with anxiety. What are the things that would maybe trigger your anxiety? Were there specific things or would it just come on at seemingly random moments? When I was little, and it's so funny that looking back now, I can say this. When I was little, I would have these moments where I would just feel like something bad was going to happen. Mm Mm-hmm. And I couldn't explain what it was. Everything would be fine. You know, I'm a little kid, seven years old, but I'm just like, no, something bad is going to happen. Mm. Of course, at the time, I did not know that that was anxiety. Fast forward to knowing what I know now, I've always dealt with it. But, and I would say now, I suffer more so with anxiety than depression. Right. Thanks, medicine. (laughs) The triggers for me are definitely when I meet a new person or when a relationship starts or if I've been in a relationship and it doesn't necessarily have to be like a significant other. It could be like a friendship, a family member, anything like that. For me, that's a huge trigger because I have a lot of abandonment problems. Mm -hmm. And so I get really anxious. Like if I let this person in and I let this person close to me and they leave 
I'm not going to be okay. Another really bad trigger for me, I said my mom is absolutely my best friend, Mm -hmm. but she was a single mom raising me. And so it was hard for her. And essentially we grew up together. Everybody says it. There's no book for being a mom and what to do. So I wholeheartedly believe that she did the best that she could, but there would be times when I would act out or I would do something and her response to it was, I'm going to get rid of you. Mm. Um, And I laugh about it now. That's so toxic. I laugh about it. (laughs) I can't tell you how many times she made me pack my bags so she could take me somewhere, things like that. And so whenever, if there's like an altercation and there is conflict, that is a huge trigger for me because I don't want it to result in, again, that person leaving. And so I'm very, very, very meticulous and I'm very precise in how I communicate now because I know a lot of the times my anxiety is a huge liar. Right. And so the things that are in my head that anxiety is telling me, I have to really think, is this a valid thought that I'm having or is this something that my anxiety is telling me? And if it's something that I think my anxiety is telling me, me how can I communicate that effectively so it doesn't cause conflict which is hard because conflict is inevitable huge part of me wants to be able to control the situations that I'm in and uh, that is probably because of my anxiety (laughs) (laughs) same here so if we have this conversation, I'm going to say this, and this is the response that I'm going to get. But right. that is not the case a lot of the time. And so yeah. it's probably extremely irrational to have that thought process and to mm-hmm. think that way. A girl's got to do what a girl's got to do. <laughs> and it feels rational in that moment. It yes. feels like your reality, and that's the only option. And that's like the tricky thing about it is even though from the outside, people are like, that's irrational. Like, why are you freaking out over this? But like to you, that fight or flight, like it seems like you're actually in danger. It seems like this is absolutely a reality. Oh, yes. And I'm not sure how the irrationality of it is so rational in that moment. I have an amazing boyfriend who has literally been with me from the start of my diagnosis to this day. And so he has also seen the transition in me. Again, love him to death. But in that moment when I'm having this overwhelming, irrational thought, as an outsider, that person saying, "Mm, you're being irrational right now. Mm -hmm. Stop thinking like that. It's like, oh, sweetie, if I could, (laughs) I promise you, I would. I do not want to be feeling like this right now. But you can't control it Mm -hmm. and it's so hard to rationalize with someone that is in that like panic anxiety mode I know my dad was always like my sole person there when I was in those moments or even now if I get to that place and at first he would always be like arguing with me trying to rationalize with me and it would just end up like us yelling back and forth or me shutting him out because I didn't feel supported in that moment. I didn't feel validated and heard. And so I kind of had to communicate with him when I was in a better state of mind that like, that's not helpful 
for me in that moment because it does feel rational to me. So I need you to just help with either grounding or breathing exercises or just like hold me, support me. Don't try to like rationalize with me because it it just feels invalidating and really frustrating. Say it louder for the people (laughs) in the back. That is the most accurate thing I've heard in a very long time. Yes, you hit the nail right on the head with that, especially the shutting people out. Mm -hmm. I am a pro at that, which is crazy (laughs) because I don't want people to leave me. Right. But my fight or flight is it's safer for me to be alone in my bubble, deal with what I have alone mm-hmm. versus, you know, the normal thing, which is actually work through whatever the problem is. I am the same way. If I actually come to somebody with, I'm dealing with this, I'm feeling this way. I haven't slept in three days because mm-hmm. my mind is just racing. And I don't know what's going on. And like that person is just like, well, that doesn't make sense. Just go to sleep. Oh, right. Yeah. You know? Just calm down. <laughs> it's like, just, oh, yeah. Haven't thought down. about Why that you... one. Yeah. No, no. Oh, go to sleep. Why didn't that come to my mind? You know what? Let me go do that. It's definitely hard, but like, yeah, you hit the nail right on the head. Yeah. Well, I feel like if you haven't gone through it it's really hard for people to understand at first i feel like as humans we're really intolerant of hard emotions and so if someone else is in pain we invalidate because we don't tolerate that emotion or we're uncomfortable and we don't know how to respond and so it's causing more harm than good when we like slap those platitudes on it like just calm down or you're fine yeah. you'll be fine But being validated and being able to sit with that person in that moment is like the best gift you could give someone. It really is. Oh, yes. A lot of the times I feel if you're able to find that person outside of professional help, that is amazing. But there are so many people who either A, can't express how they're truly feeling or they don't feel comfortable expressing how they're truly feeling Mm -hmm. to loved ones or anybody around them. And so they just deal with it alone, which is one of the scariest and one of the things that I will never, ever, even though I myself suffer and struggle, if anybody I know is like, man, I'm just struggling and I don't know why. I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to tell you what to do. You just talk. And Mm. no matter what comes out of your mouth, I'm going to be like, "Mm -hmm, you're right. Mm -hmm. Come here, bring it in. If you need (laughs) to cry, I've got you. But for people that don't, have somebody like that or they really aren't comfortable it's so so important to pursue other avenues and it doesn't necessarily need to be therapy although I am a huge (laughs) advocate for therapy me too there are so many free like text and call lines yeah you're having a moment where everything is collapsing in around you and you just there's nothing really that is making you feel validated and you don't understand and you can't fathom why you're feeling this way. There are other avenues to reach out to that people that are trained to help in those moments can help. And I think it's so important for people to know that because yes, friends and family are amazing, but 
sometimes they can't help because they don't understand, like you said. Mm -hmm. And so just know that even though they might not understand, there are so many other people out there that do understand. Even social media, there are so many people out there that are willing to be an advocate and to be a friend. You can meet somebody online and they have gone through something similar. And all of a sudden it's like, I have this person, sure, I've never met them, but they can understand what I'm going through. I can understand what they're going through. And now we kind of have that rapport where if that person is having a bad day, they know they can come to me. And if I'm having a bad day, I know I can go to them. So there's just so many different outlets that people can go to to get help. Yeah, I think definitely it can be really healing to be able to talk to someone that's not directly tied to your personal life or your circle. Yes, oh, yeah. you definitely want a support system and family and friends that are that can help guide you and support you, but being able to talk to someone that doesn't have bias. I know sometimes if if I were just to rely on my family to talk about what I'm going through, it would hurt them. It would hurt them mm-hmm. hearing like my struggles or what I'm thinking. They're directly affected by those things. But being able to talk to a therapist or like a support group online or a text yeah. crisis line, being able to talk to someone that's outside of your circle in your life is so nice. I feel like you can sometimes open up even more because they don't have that direct tie. And then, of course, usually they're trained and they can actually help you cope with that in some way. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's really cool how many different means there are today. Yes. And even there's so many avenues, whether you're in school, if you're at somebody that's busy with work, they have virtual therapy now where you can text your therapist. There's just so many different ways and there's a lot of things that stop people from seeking therapy. The most popular ones that I've come across are people don't connect with the first therapist that they reach mm-hmm. out to yeah. and so they just stop pursuing. And that is understandable. It happens more often than not. I personally went through probably four or five therapists until I found my current therapist. There was a point in time where I was like, okay, maybe therapy isn't for me. But you're right. Having that unbiased person whose whole sole purpose in life is just this he or she is trained on this topic and what you're going through to look at what you are going through from an outsider's perspective and to be able to give feedback and input from that. Not only does it take this huge weight off of your shoulders, but I've never had a therapy session where at the end I felt worse than Mm -hmm. when I went in. And if you find the correct therapist, they'll even give you tools to cope when you're not in therapy. And so that way, if you're in a situation where, oh no, I'm being triggered, my anxiety is about to act up, or I'm in a depressive state, giving you coping mechanisms that you can utilize outside are fully helpful there as well. I think the next thing that stops people from seeking therapy is the cost. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, not having that but, accessibility. Yes, whether it be insurance or not working and not having an income or things like that, there is a way for everything. Like I said, I work in the medical industry, mainly for insurance. That also fully motivated me to move forward in pursuing mental health and advocating for it. But if you aren't insured or you're not working, things like that, go online or go to the library, go somewhere and see, because with the Affordable Care Act, so many people are getting insurance and they're paying maybe 2 to $4 a month. Or if you're not able to pay anything at all, there are government-funded programs that are so helpful. And I work closely with people that do get Medicaid. And so Medicaid, a lot of them don't work at all. They qualify for Medicaid and being able to utilize the mental health and the behavioral health programs that are offered and not having to worry about it just because they don't have money. Just please, if you feel Mm -hmm. it's like a cost thing, do not because there are so many different ways to get therapy that don't necessarily you don't have to pay for so just wanted to throw that in there yeah (laughs) thank you for sharing that that's really insightful and good information for anyone that's maybe looking for that or struggling wanting to go to therapy but they don't feel like they have the means to to do that that's amazing I definitely love that you shared how you had gone through multiple therapists before you found the right one just because you're going to see a therapist doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to be a good therapist or a therapist that you connect with and feel like you can actually open up like it's kind of like a partner (laughs) you have to find it's like one yeah (laughs) it really is you have to find one that works for you and and fits your needs and and yeah makes you feel comfortable and safe and all these things Absolutely. Some people do get lucky. And the first therapist that they meet, they hit it off and it's golden from there. But it's like Tinder for therapy. <laughs> like you have to go on a date with your therapist <laughs> to see if you guys are compatible. And if not, you're not going to stop dating. Keep looking around because yeah. the therapist for you is out there. But yes, I've gone through so many. My first one was an article therapist as I like to call her or she would give me like articles to read Mm -hmm. online and that just didn't do much for me and so second one was a little bit better but and this is just a personal thing whenever I would talk and whenever he would talk he would close his eyes (laughs) I felt like he wasn't with me (laughs) like he was somewhere else that's a random quirk (laughs) I I was like, open your eye. Look at me. I'm here. (laughs) He had some great points and he was a great listener. I couldn't get past that. And so... And that's okay. And you can move on. You can be petty about your therapist as long as you're pursuing getting help, girl, whatever it is. I mean, as long as it's not too like oh they're blonde and I really want to brew like that's a bit much (laughs) yeah yeah. a little bit more of a chance than that but and then I had a lot of inspirational Tony Robbins Brene Brown type therapists Mm -hmm. who would basically pull 
from things that they had heard from Benet Brown or Tony Robbins and would utilize that. And I'm all for inspirational people and motivational speakers. I'm all for that. But sometimes life isn't as simple as get out there and achieve your dreams. <laughs> it's not that easy. And so you can say that. And in that moment, like, yeah, it's like, you know what? You're right. I don't even want to get out of bed, ma'am. Right. So like, let's start with we, that. <laughs> let's, let's reel it in before you give me a good Tony Robbins quote. And how can I shower daily? <laughs> <laughs> right. Let's figure that out. I knew that it was something that I did need because the medication that I was taking, although yes, it did help, I still needed to be able to talk to somebody and I needed to be able to get the thoughts that I really could not put together out there to see if I could get help. When I finally found I just call her Laura <laughs> for first name report. When I found Laura, I literally was like, oh my gosh, where have you been for the last five years? Please don't ever quit your job. If you quit, I'm coming with you. Just an amazing, amazing, amazing therapist. And like I said, it's like dating. Don't give up. Like if you strike out on your first one, mm-hmm. your second one, your third one, your fourth one. Like people will go through therapists on top of therapists, but you will find one that you are compatible with. And then it's also super important that you're consistent with it. In the beginning of my treatment plan, I was going bi-weekly. I would go literally every two weeks and then it was once a month. And now I'll go as needed. Some people have to go multiple times a week and Mm -hmm. that is a-okay but definitely finding a therapist sticking with it knowing that it's okay to be in therapy being in therapy is not a bad thing at all at all period I love that I just want to say two things like one I know it sounds so exhausting to like start all over I know like now that I've had a good therapist for like three years straight to me, it sounds exhausting to have to start over that whole process and like unpack things with someone. But like, same with dating. It sucks. It sucks having to go on a first date with someone for the first time. But like, what you're doing right now isn't working, obviously. Otherwise, you wouldn't be seeking out therapy. And so like, you just have to like push through that dread and that exhaustion. Because It can get better if you find the right person. And then also talking about like finding the right person. I think it also makes a big difference of how you show up to therapy. If you're not actually like putting in the work or applying the things that you're learning or talking about, like that's only one hour in your week or two hours per month. And so what are you doing all the other hours in the week? Because exactly. I know for like the first year of me going to therapy, it didn't really make a difference at all because I would tell her what had happened during that week, but then I went home and didn't change anything and didn't do anything different. But now I'm like excited to go to therapy and I have like notes of like what I want to talk about. I'm like prepared myself and then we go through workbooks, different workbooks, depending on where I am. And she gives me homework or like we talk about what happened the prior week and how I was coping with it, whether it was 
healthy or yeah. unhealthy. And if that happens again, like, how am I going to show up to that situation? How am I going to show up to that conversation or relationship? And really, it's like what you make of it. Absolutely. And if you go into it with a negative mindset, so if people go straight to psychiatrists, that's who you seek for your medicine. You don't really Mm -hmm. talk to a psychiatrist about your problems. There are some medications that you have to see a therapist before they prescribe it. I know somebody who went into it with that mindset and it was like, ugh, this is a chore. I'm doing this because I need that medication. It's not going to be good for you if you go in it with that mindset. But being able to go into it as like, this person wants to help me and this person has tools that can make things better and just kind of being light and airy about it just Mm -hmm. see how it goes and then if you hit a home run that's awesome but if not that's okay as well if you go and you're just kind of like okay yeah they told me to do this the next time this happens and you're kind of brushing it off and I was the same way in the beginning I wouldn't utilize anything outside of that room like in the room everything would make sense and I'd be like you know what that is a genius idea I don't know why I didn't think of that but (laughs) then a situation would happen and it was like what am I supposed to do right now but the more and more I realized how much it was helping. It's probably my favorite time out of the month mm-hmm. is the day that I get to talk to my therapist. I'm like, yes, I get to Same. talk to Laura. She's going to tell me that my anxiety is a liar. And I'm going to be like, yes, Laura, you better tell my anxiety. <laughs> like, it is my favorite time of the month. It can get to that point for everybody, but you have to let it, of course. Mm-hmm. I love that. So, okay, we've been talking about therapy. What are some coping mechanisms that have worked for you? For me, the biggest one that has rocked my world, I have very self-deprecating thoughts at all points in time. For the most part, I will keep them to myself. But I had a session with my therapist and I would tell her, well, this is what I'm thinking and this is why I'm not doing that. This is why I'm not comfortable doing that. And with every point that I would throw at her, she would hit me with, but you know, that's a lie, right? That's your mind telling you a lie. And every time she would say it, it was like, I was getting hit with like a rock or something. And like, it took my breath away and I'm like, ah, okay. I didn't think about that because, of course, I'm thinking that my thoughts are legitimate Mm -hmm. (laughs) and this person hates me. I don't know why they hate me, but they do, Laura. And she's (laughs) like, well, why would that person hate you? What reason do they have to hate you? I don't know. Yeah, that's your mind telling you a lie. So in the moments where I am having those thoughts of lately, it's been a lot of oh my gosh, like, I'm going to lose my job. And if I lose my job, what am I going to do? COVID, nobody's Mm -hmm. hiring. Being able to stop what I will do, I'm big on writing out my thoughts. So that way I can... You're the same person. (laughs) (laughs) 
writing everything down and then being able to visualize what it is that I'm feeling. And then all I hear is Laura in my head saying, you know, that's a lie. So -hmm. then I'll write down the flip side of what I just wrote down. And for me, it flips what I thought completely. And sometimes it will really, really, really help. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer and I'll really have to be like, okay, this is just my mind telling me this negative thing. This isn't the situation, but also telling myself like, okay, this is just your anxiety telling you a lie, but communication is the next biggest thing for me. The farther I got into my journey with my depression and my anxiety, I found myself being a little bit more comfortable sharing it, not with everybody, but with like important people. So like my managers have to know that I Mm. suffer with this. And so in that, if there's something where, for example, like there's a one-on-one meeting, I'm immediately typing out an email hey, before our meeting starts, I just want to let you know, I am terrified that you're going to fire me. (laughs) (laughs) I want to make sure that this is a constructive conversation versus something that I completely misunderstand because of my anxiety. Mm -hmm. Just want to give you the heads up. If I ask questions or if I talk and I ramble, just know that I'm trying to work through the anxiety that I have in my head. So being able to communicate like, hey, I might, for me, ramble and I might ask a lot of questions that might not make sense and they will come from left field. But just know it's my way of coping and making sure that I don't take it to that level of angst and to the point where I could potentially have a panic attack. (laughs) Right. Those are the two for me. Just knowing that anxiety is a liar Mm -hmm. and will feed you a lot of lies, writing things down, and then, of course, communicating through the anxiety if possible. Those are the biggest coping mechanisms that have been helpful for me personally. I love that. I use like very similar things with my own therapist. She always tells me like stack up the evidence against that thought that your depression is telling you or your anxiety is telling you because you're thinking this thought and it feels rational. But once you actually start to stack up evidence of like, what if this wasn't true? You're like, oh, yeah, okay. Okay. You're right. It's lying. And then also she always tells me like, You have to be your own advocate for your mental health because no one else is in your body, is in your mind. They don't know what you need and what you're going through. And so by you communicating with your partner or your bosses, like I think that's amazing. You're advocating for your own mental health and it's really like setting boundaries or asking for what you need. And that is so important. Yes. And setting boundaries, that is an amazing one. For me, that was something that I did struggle a lot with in the beginning because I was always just an open book and everything was fair game. But being able to set that boundary and say, this is what makes me uncomfortable. This is something that you're doing that is triggering that anxiety and that can trigger that depression in me. Being able to set those boundaries, communicate them is 
so important. And it's not a bad thing at all. Mm -mm, No. So there is definitely a lot of stigma around mental health and mental illness and therapy, which is just dumb, but there Mm -hmm. is. So how has stigma or shame played a part in your story and how have you worked to overcome that? The stigma that I faced in the beginning was mainly people didn't want to deal with me because there was the perception that I was quote unquote crazy and a ticking time bomb, which wasn't the case. That's how it is for a lot of people. And I also feel like as people that suffer, we put the stigma on ourselves. Like, oh my gosh, I have bipolar depression. I have bipolar disorder. I'm schizophrenic. I have PTSD. We put that stigma on ourselves, but it also doesn't help what society has done. Whereas people, probably one of my favorite movies right now is Joker because he's portrayed as this villain and as somebody that you need to stay away from because they are quote unquote crazy, but it's truly just he's mentally ill. And so the stigma hit hardest towards the beginning. But as time went on, as I started to rebuild myself, I started to realize it didn't matter. And what did matter was me. Yes, I have depression. Yes, I have anxiety. But that is just a part of who I am. It's not a bad thing. It makes me who I am. If somebody wants to stigmatize that, it's shame on that person. And that is ignorance. And actually, I'm going to share a story. So in the beginning, I would talk to people that needed help in finding providers that Mm -hmm. would take Medicaid. And I was introduced to a member. I always call him Jeremiah. Of course, that's not his real name. Jeremiah was disabled. He Mm -hmm. could not drive. It was hard for him to walk. He was going through cancer treatments. So it was hard for him to actually go to appointments outside of his treatment. Right. But he was struggling terribly with depression. He just wanted help. So immediately I'm in, okay, let's take care of this. You know, as I'm searching, he's telling me how he feels so bad for even contacting us and asking Mm. for help because he knows like it's taking time out of my day. And it's like, no, if you need help and you know, you're going through something, that's okay. Don't be ashamed of it because again, it's a part of you. And Mm. so- I took it probably way farther because I just resonated so much with his story and with the problems that he had with wanting to find somebody to help, but really not being able to find somebody to help. At the time, therapists were booked out months and months and months in advance. And so it was like, how can we find somebody for him to see right now? Somebody that can do like telehealth, things like that. I took on a lot of his burdens because I knew what he was going through. And so it got to a point where he would call in and he would ask for me. And of course, I'm like, that is fine. But in the job that I was doing currently, if I was doing something else, I really couldn't take time away from that. And so I would get in trouble and people were like, why is he asking for you specifically? And I would say, well, this is what he needs. 
And this is what he's asking for. Immediately, it would be like, why are you doing so much? Mm. Why are you taking all these steps when you're not in the behavioral health department? Like, no, why are you doing all of this? And for me, that was very confusing because one, I had the same tools and resources that everybody else did. So there was no reason why I shouldn't have been able to help him. But two, for the response to be, well, why are you doing all of that? That just, for somebody that doesn't know what living with depression is like, it's very easy to say, well, why are you going above and beyond for this person? It broke my heart for months. And I remember one of the last phone calls that I had with him where he flat out told me like, other than you, nobody is reaching out to me. Nobody is helping me and it's getting worse. I don't Mm. know what I'm going to do. I remember getting off of the phone and I physically had to walk away and I cried. What seemed like (laughs) probably 30 to 45 minutes. I hope it wasn't that long, but I just felt so bad that not only was he dealing with this but he was dealing with it alone and he felt like a burden to everybody else and it's like that's not necessary and so in everything that I've learned speaking out and telling your story is the most impactful way to break that stigma Mm -hmm. because people that don't go through it don't know unless you tell them It was the same thing for the longest time. I didn't tell my friends what was going on with me because, again, I thought they would think poorly of me and they wouldn't want to be my friend anymore. But finally, I got to a point where I was like, listen, I'm dealing with an insane amount of depression. It's getting to a point where it's affecting whether or not I want to continue living. Yeah. This is what I'm going through and I need help. Because of that stigma, I immediately assumed, like I said, they were just going to be like, oh, that's entirely too much work. No, I don't want to deal with that. I don't want to deal with the person who's depressed. But thankfully, it was the complete opposite. Telling, saying, hey, this is what I'm going through. I'm depressed and I'm scared. I'm depressed and I'm alone. Sharing that story immediately broke that stigma when it came to my friends and I. And so now, I will share my story as often as I can when it's necessary because in that, again, people will learn what it's truly like and then hopefully once they encounter somebody or even if they deal with it eventually, they'll know it's not a bad thing. It's not something to be ashamed of. Mm -hmm. It's not something that makes you any less lovable or something that makes you a problem. It's none of those things. It's just a part of your story. It's weird to say this because it feels so negative, but it's a beautiful color that makes up the painting of who you are. Right. I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. I I mean, I had chills. Really just like being open and sharing your story It gives other people being able to say like, oh, me too. I'm not alone. Mm. I'm not crazy. This does really happen. It's just such a relief for other people to hear that. 
And it's just powerful being able to share your story. Absolutely. And knowing that you're not alone, of course, is probably the biggest relief. Even if you're in the beginning stages of things, I have found mainly, I'll go through like Instagram mainly. There is an account that I love. They engage with their followers. They post tips, not only for people with depression, but for people that know someone with depression. Mm -hmm. And every single thing that they post, I have been like, yes, absolutely. And it's not like corny, cheesy, cliche. (laughs) Like these are legitimate tips that I've always been like, Oh my gosh. So the Instagram that I recommend everybody follows is the underscore depression underscore chronicles and then the number 11. They have 170,000 followers. So fairly small account. But like I said, they will post things like how to understand a panic attack, the struggles of having depression and being high functioning, like things like that. Every time I see something like that, that I'm like, okay, oh my gosh, yes, I relate to that. I know somebody that can benefit from that. I'm like queen screenshot and like I'll send it to my boyfriend like, hey, next time I'm having a panic attack and you don't know how to handle it, here you go. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Definitely check them out. They are amazing. That's awesome. Thank you for sharing. And I also love that you'll send it to your boyfriend because again, it's just advocating for yourself. Thank you for pointing that out because I didn't do that for the longest time. Now I find myself doing it frequently right? and it feels powerful to be able to say, this is what I'm going through and this is what you can do in this moment or in that moment. And even for the longest time, I had problems with not showing up for like events. Mm -hmm. And I always felt so bad. I would beat myself up about it. But now I'm like, hey, I'm having a really rough time right now. I'm not going to be able to show up. Have fun without me. Instead of like, oh, I'm sick. I can't go (laughs) dancing around it. Like, no, now I'm just like, yeah, no, I'm not going to go because I'm having a depressive episode. Right. And I would rather watch Golden Girls on Hulu in bed (laughs) than have to fake a smile in front of people. Right. So it's empowering once you realize you have that power. And I think maybe, maybe it's because I've shared my story, that I do feel so empowered to be able to do that. It's only helpful for those around you as well, because I know for me in the beginning, everybody, it was almost like they were walking on eggshells around Mm -hmm. me because they didn't want to set me off or anything like that. And it's like, no, that's not the case. You don't have to censor yourself or walk on eggshells around me. I'm still Jaleesa. I'm still the girl that you know. I'm just dealing with this right now. And so finding resources, whether it be a quote that you really resonate with or whether it be an Instagram account that like they hit home on a lot of topics that you struggle with and saying, hey, check this out or a YouTube video or somebody sharing their story. All of those things really, really, really help 
will empower you to not only take it back because I feel like in depression, you feel like you lose a lot of power. Yeah. And you feel powerless. And so being able to say like, I have depression. This is how I'm living with it. And I have depression and this is what you can do when I'm in a state like this. It just, it feels powerful. It's really like helping people understand you and then helping them know how to help you when you are in those moments. So, okay, to wrap up, what do you want listeners to take away from this episode? And what would you say to someone struggling? What I would say to somebody that is struggling is you are not alone. You are far from alone. And although everything inside of you is probably telling you that you are, it's not correct. Know that there are so many avenues and so many resources that you can utilize to interact with people who have a similar story to you, whether it be a podcast or a group that you're a part of, something like that. You're just, you're not alone. And feeling alone, of course, is okay, but know that there are so many people out there that care and want to make sure that you are okay because you are needed in this world. The main takeaway that I would love (laughs) for anybody that listens to this is if you need help, don't be afraid to ask because it's not a bad thing. Any male listeners that you may have, men in therapy so hot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, don't be like, oh, I'm a man. I don't need therapy. Or I'm a man. I need to just deal with this on my own. Like, no, you're a man. It's okay to be in therapy or it's okay mm-hmm. to seek help. Just don't be afraid of reaching out. And again, it's so important for everybody to know that, yes, your story is unique, but I promise you, there's somebody out there that resonates with what you've been through. Mm-hmm. They would love, love, love to, if not help, at least make it a little bit easier to deal with. And right. I know you said it, things do get better. It's kind of like literally like a roller coaster. You're going to have your moments where everything is great and you're like, I don't know depression. They don't <laughs> go here. But then you're going to have your low moments where it's like, oh, I know depression. You're going to have back and forth moments like that, and that's okay. But just know that when you're having those low moments, it does get better, and you don't have to suffer alone if you do not want to. Of course, sometimes you do just want to be by yourself and take that time to self-care and get back to a good place where you can do things. But definitely, if it's at a point where things are getting scary, please, please, please reach out for help and know, again, you are not alone. There are so many resources I love it. You are amazing. I love your insights and your wisdom. And thank you for being so vulnerable and honest about this. So if people want to reach out or connect with you, where can they find you? 
Thank you first for having me. I was so excited when <laughs> you asked me to come on the podcast again. Thank you. I think you are amazing as well. If you would like to interact with me, I have a podcast as well. Again, kind of pretty definitely petty is the name of my podcast you can follow me on instagram at kind of pretty dot definitely petty <laughs> <laughs> and then also i have twitter kind of pretty definitely petty but the main one probably i would say is instagram i'm always on there if you want to reach out and i'm extremely interactive with my followers because again i don't ever want anyone to feel like they're alone if you ever need to talk or you ever have any questions especially about like the insurance side of things hit me up i'm your girl i've got <laughs> your back i will have all of those in the show notes for anyone that is wanting to reach out so, okay, I close my episodes with a little song recommendation. So, do you have a song that deeply resonates with you in your story? Oh my gosh, I love that question. <laughs> I'm okay. going to say the song that, for me, resonates with my story is Lovely by mm -hmm. Billie Eilish featuring Khaled. Why did you choose that song? When I heard it, it hit my soul. The lyrics, I'm big on lyrics. Yes, if a song has a good beat, of course, I'm okay with that. But if a song has lyrics that like I can feel and relate to, that is definitely a huge plus for me. Like from the start of the song. So the first lyric is, thought I found a way, but you never go away. So I guess I have to stay now. And then it goes on to, I hope someday I'll make it out of here. Even if it takes all night or a hundred years, need a place to hide, but I can't find one near, want to feel alive outside, I can't fight my fear. That is literally how I feel with my depression, where I have moments where I'm like, okay, I'm out of it. I thought I had a way out, but it never goes away. It might be a little bit more of a somber song, but chorus is very uplifting. Like, I know someday I'll make it out of here, even if it takes all night or a hundred years. Like that, to me, I feel that. I know mm -hmm. that I'm going to be okay and that in those moments, although I feel like I'm not going to make it out, I'm strong enough and I'm going to fight it. So even if it takes, no matter how long it takes, I'm going to get better. I, I love that, that question. <laughs> <laughs> I do too. <laughs> That's why I ask it. Can I, I get, ask your song? I mean, I have a playlist for everything, but really like my theme song for my life is Rise Up by Andre Day. Oh yeah. The lyrics on my wall because <laughs> it's just like... No matter what I go through, I just rise up over and over again. That's the only choice I have. So that song is like my pump up song and it gives me chills. I love that. Thank you. Well, thank you again for being such a lovely guest. I just really appreciate you and your message. I had so much fun. Me too. All right. Well, that's all we have for you guys this week. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.
I hope this podcast left you feeling empowered, better understood, and less alone in this crazy thing called life. If you like what you hear, leave a rating or review and share it with your friends. Thanks for listening and tune in next time.